0: The opinions expressed on this show are solely those of Jeremy Hinks and Sticky Jazz Podcast and do not necessarily reflect those of anyone else on this planet.
1: And good day, everybody. Welcome to Sticky Jazz. I'm your host, Jeremy Hinks, the man of a million musical opinions. All of mine also happen to be correct. This week, we have B Beeman. Uh, He is a singer-songwriter. He has toured with Ruthann Cash. He's played with Chris Cornell and Soundgarden. And he's just a very eclectic vocalist and guitarist. And he does covers that just are so different. You just gotta hear them. And he's just released an album called Substitute Preacher. And it's got some crazy overtones, his work in general has some wonderful and biting social commentary. So we're going to kick this off with his cover of uh, ACDC's Back in Black. So let's all sit back and do the sticky jazz.
0: Because I never die. I got nine lives. I can't size. I'm using everyone.
1: Hello, everybody. Welcome to Sticky Jazz. I'm your host Jeremy Hinks, and this week I've got the Substitute Preacher. Well, that's that's the current project. You're gonna love this guy. So, uh, could you introduce yourself really quick?
2: Yeah, uh, my name is B Bee Beeman. I'm a singer, songwriter, guitarist, uh, a couple other things, <laughs> and uh, I'm I have a new album coming out. It's called Substitute Preacher Two. It's a collection of covers that I that I love that I kind of reimagined, and it's the second um, in a series of of covers EPs.
1: I and I have to say it was um, so your publicist. He's always sending me stuff, really eclectic across the whole spectrum of R and B, jazz, soul, trippy reggae, whatever. I heard this one. I thought. Uh, and, and, and I read up, I'm like, wait, this guy has done everything as far as recording and instruments and whatnot. But uh, I, he's, he's like Prince in the making. But, man, it, it, it's like a, a folk that just blew my mind. I was really surprised with the, uh, with the, the, the cover pieces that you did. When I, I read it, he says, yeah, he does uh, covers of ACDC and the police i was like what is this guy you know so once i got a good listen i was like oh man i gotta talk to him so um i am glad we're here this is this is so uh really quick so uh, it's not just bb could could you spell it actually how it how your name is it's
2: b and it's i might have said it fast um but it doesn't matter usually people get it wrong anyway i can say, say it how i like um but it's b h i and that's pronounced b it's like a silent h and the i is kind of an e sound so it's b beeman and then my last name is b h i m a n um it's kind of a unusual name it's a it comes from hinduism and it's uh, my parents are from sri lanka they're like a hindu sect of sri lankans which is an island south of india and uh My name is, there's a bit of a thing lost in translation coming over to America, where I was. kind of of got a Chris Christofferson name, um, where my first name is part of my last name. But it actually is kind of common in our culture coming to a Western society, because we kind of go by one name and your your ancestors' names.
1: um, So it kind of got Westernized a little bit. And now here you are. Uh, and, and where are you living nowadays? Where are I you? I live in L.A. You live in L.A. Actually, everyone I've interviewed, what, one guy was in London. Everybody else has been in L.A. or San Francisco for the last, like, ever. And so I guess that's <laughs> the happening place for anyone I'm, I'm going to end up talking Everything's to. Everything's happening here. Everything's happening. No, it's not. It's the, it's this. It's yeah. this. It's this pandemic thing, man. Yes, yeah. but you're all in your house. Yeah, so... Um, Let's talk about, so the, the Street Preacher project, I, I started with number two. That was the one that you, you're you just releasing, what, today, isn't it? No, tomorrow. Um, Good night tonight. And uh, again, I love my job. I got it a week and a half ago and was like, oh, man, this is the shock right here. This is like the weirdest. I am like so having to get this over and over again. Um, and then I was when I said, you know, let's. Let's talk, but where does the idea of Substitute Preacher come from? And I know it's a play on words, but uh, bring that up. Can we talk uh, about that for a second?
2: I kinda, you kind of remind me of uh, your interview styles a little bit like Mad Dog Russo. Do you know who that is? <laughs> I don't. From, uh, he goes, well, your thoughts on that <laughs> after he asked the questions. <laughs> he's, he's a good interviewer. Um, but um, Substitute Preacher came from... I I don't know if I saw that image for the album cover, but it's basically a, a a young kid about a ten year old kid.
1: Oh yeah, it was a, hilarious. Teacher. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's a real it. guy. Okay, um, he
2: actually I think lives in L.A. still. Um, but substitute preacher. I, I think it's well, it's a covers album. I'm trying to think on the fly here, but it's a covers album, so I I'm pretty sure. My thought process was like I'm you're not getting AC/DC as the normal preacher here you're getting me um and uh it's it's it was it rolls off the tongue pretty well
1: and it's kind of clever and you know that's that oh so have you ever heard of the band the alabama three out of uh they're out of england but have you heard those guys (laughs) no okay so they uh they did that theme for the sopranos the um Mm. woke Woke up up this morning morning. yeah okay so Oh wow! They're a, a techno country acid house reggae gospel band. Mm. And uh they are all of this music that they do is loaded with preacher image, preacher language, all of that, you know, like they're <laughs> now here's a new one from, you know, so and so the of the, the the first Church of uh, Elvis the Divine, first Presbyterian Church of Elvis the Divine, you know they they, they kept all the old Southern preacher ideas, you know that you that you just see that you associate with that revival idea, and then they they throw that into their music. As the story is that they they met in a drug rehab and and uh, all found God and and uh, you know it's it, but it's it's a big story. It's it, they, they developed characters around it.
2: Well, that reminds me of. Oh, sorry, I'll let you finish.
1: Yeah, no. So, uh, so, so nice. they, they they have all that, and that makes the me. It's, it's it's all a big you know uh, personality thing, and they they're not really those people, but they put this together just for this you know persona thing, and it was fantastic. And so a lot of your stuff kind of bleeds over into the the thought and, and the vibe of what those guys are delivering. And I always thought that I, I was like, wow, this is. You know, the substitute preacher and the, hey, everybody, you know, the, <laughs> the so th- that was what really turned me on about this was there was something at least that familiar. But yeah. uh, there are other things that just, you know, I'm like, wow, this is so new. Um, anyway, what, what were you saying? Sorry to interrupt you there. Oh, that, it's similar to
2: uh, something I was just like thinking about the gorillas, the band, the gorillas, um, and they kind of have a whole persona thing, obviously, to an extreme level. They have a, a graphic artist as part of the band, and they have a cartoon-based um, band. So um, that sort of, to an extreme level, exactly, uh, to an extreme level, they t- the guy, Damon Albarn, from uh, the band Blur, who you probably heard some of their songs. They're not a huge, huge band over here
1: in America. Oh, I know Blur, yeah. But wait, didn't Peter Hook do some work on Gorillaz? I think he did. Uh, I don't know. He's the B's he's the basis for a new order. I'm I'm pretty oh. sure. I I think I have the work they did with him because it's fan. Oh. I mean, he's That's just cool. the craziest. Uh, he, he invented indie bass, as far as I'm concerned.
2: But, oh cool. Uh, no, so. I don't know. I mean, they collaborate a lot, I guess, or he does that. The Gorillas, whatever, <laughs> whatever they might be, they collaborate with a lot of people. So, um, I, I'm not familiar with that, but I I bet you they did. I mean, they've done like, what have they done? Uh. Dan the Automator, Deltron, like all kinds of people. Sure. Like, might as well be Elton John at this point.
1: Right, right. Yeah. So, well, you've got like th- what I think was so interesting about how I made the connection between you and the Alabama Three was just simply I haven't heard any thought or music delivered in such an eccentric way. Since I heard Alabama 3 in 2000. Okay. I mean, like, I don't know, this a, lot is... about, I don't know this... a lot about them, but I love that sound
2: from the Soprano song. I mean, i when you describe their like hillbilly or, or
1: rockabilly thing and
2: their techno and whatever, and it's like techno
1: oh, yeah. acid country house gospel. Yeah. You know,
2: it's just like the singing is like Leonard Cohen ish and then has like the, these affected drums and stuff.
1: Oh, yeah. So yeah. And, and and you've you've got a guy they call him the spirit and he's uh, he's uh, he's the keyboardist. Uh, you got uh, Larry Love and Reverend D. Wayne. You know they, they have these these names it's just it's just a wild thing and they're they're fantastic. And I'm like I I was thinking how could I have gone? I think it was like 26 when I heard. That. I was like how could I have gone 26 years of my life and never heard this thing right? And so it, I just love the delivery. I mean, like I said, I've never had anything delivered in such an eccentric, eclectic way uh, since those guys. So when I put this on, it was probably like probably the second song I'm, I'm sending a message to your publicist and saying, all right, whoever this guy, I got talk to him because he's so just well, out there, man. I it's like wonderful.
2: I like concepts kind of above all, above almost anything. Um, and on the first Substitute Preacher, I had, I did Highway to Hell by ACDC, and I kind of did it in this cheeky way. What Maybe it's only an inside joke to me, but um, there's a famous gospel, like a white Christian gospel family called the Carter family, and Johnny Cash was married into that family with June Carter. Yeah, June Carter, yeah, yeah. The yeah. granddaughter, I think, of... Uh, I don't know the guy's name, but the Carter patriarch guy. Um, And um, there's a woman in the family. I believe she's maybe just a sister, maybe the grandmother to June Carter, maybe the mother or Stant. Sorry, all messed up with that. But she has a particular guitar style. Maybe people call it the Maybell style, but it's like this folk, country, gospel, Christian thing. And I thought playing Highway to Hell in that way in this kind of sacrilegious, kind of funny way, um, would be an inside joke only to me, but it really worked out
1: um, well. So, okay, when I was listening to it, okay, this this was this was the the kick to it, okay, because I loved it. All right, and, and I was gonna say you're you're obviously an ACDC fan because you you put one on each of the of the records there, but uh, Highway from Hell, okay, the the complete rework of it was just crazy right i was listening to it and that one was i had the biggest smile listen to that because they're like you just said you're delivering it like it was a preacher song and every line in there would be great except i'm on the highway to hell but everything else would have been like you know here i am i'm finding salvation whatever and the, the but you had that whole failed overly zealous preacher kick in there that that was I mean, that that's the personality uh, that that one has, you know, the personality of your work
2: right there. Well, and it's I was... interesting I, that image of the guy on the cover or it's a mm-hmm. boy um, preacher is kind of like the only visual uh, I have even still in my mind <laughs> today in my mind of doing this kind of project. So it probably influences me in a, in some manner, um, on at least on some of the songs. As to how I approach it. But it is an old-timey, folky thing in, in a lot of ways. Well, a you, of, you
1: had a, a bit of the amazing goddess that shall be immortal, uh, Rosetta Starp, in there. <laughs> you know? Uh,
2: you, you, yeah. you know what I'm talking about, right? Because Yeah. Was, yeah and there she was like the godmother of rock and roll.
1: Anyway, so no. She's this queer black woman who, like, engineered. She didn't just inspire. She engineered rock and roll. You know what I'm yeah, you know what I'm crazy, talking about? Like
2: I've only I've listened to some of her albums and definitely seen some of the footage. There's like some movies or whatever you might call them, videos. Um, and they're pretty awesome. I mean, it's hard to deny that she had a lot of rock and roll going on before there was a rock and roll. Yeah, um, I mean, I I
1: she's one of those that like I, I think all things will point back to her. The great family tree of rock and roll is, you know she's a she's one of those in the roots of a woman.
2: It. Playing guitar, first of all, is also a little bit different. There have been some famous ones, but back in the day, there's like, there's a song called "I'm um, I'm Ready to Learn." Uh, I'm not gonna try to sing it, but there's only like a handful of of guitars in the 50s and 60s that were female that I can recall, and it's striking to see that. And she's playing like a white SG with three humbucker pickups. (laughs) Uh, It's just like a whole thing, and she's just rocking it, and it's pretty cool
1: i mean to look back on it now i can only imagine what they thought of her like you know she must be the antichrist or she's the coolest thing in the world or you know but she wouldn't have been anything in between she would have been one of those two things you know like but oh just fabulous that so i i found that in some of your work as well it, it, it's standing out more in this record than in some of your other stuff but uh well, i like I,
2: um when you talk about her rose sister rosetta i it's kind of like what I like about rock and roll. Like I grew up listening to acdc and Zeppelin, and and like I learned like almost everything on guitar. um And as a, I, I'm a guitarist first, a singer second, I sang out of kind of necessity, I guess you could say. But um after a while, you don't want to like just you don't want to <laughs> rock and roll singing is more than Robert Plant wailing about whatever he's talking about. Um, when you go back rock and roll comes out of like a love of god and i don't want to get religious on your program i'm not particularly religious but when you hear somebody sing religious music they are taking the passion to like a total another level that you can't when you're just talking about you know love on a human level uh between two people um so you hear a lot of rock and roll in the 70s 60s 70s and they're kind of copying some of the the wailing and stuff that you might hear in church music. Um, And I don't know where I was going with that, but I I like, I like that kind of raw emotion that sister Rosetta Tharp and people like her uh, use in their singing, Um, not just for, wanking that's my spinal tap term i like to use wanking
1: well if you're in england be very careful that's a very derogatory (laughs) term for masturbation over in the uk but yeah
2: right exactly well for me too and i use it when somebody's just noodling on guitar or you know doing something that has no purpose other than self-serving oh
1: Um, so you're talking about james hetfield then is is that what you're uh
2: (laughs) everybody's got their own person uh he doesn't bug me particularly but that is totally fine with me i'll endorse that um but um so i just i i lean towards that type of singing where maybe i'm not like going all out like i'm on the voice or america's got talent like right away uh the song kind of needs to breathe and build up and if there there's a big moment for the voice then i'll let that happen but sometimes it doesn't always call for it uh,
1: the mood so uh I, you've probably never heard of the band the Tinder Sticks. No, I'm not familiar. But they're they are probably the only band that I would have liked. Like you are a mix of the Tinder Sticks and a, a, an old school punk band called The Walkmen. And um mm. and uh the, your your vocals have so much of a this is gonna sound weird, but a Nina Simone quality to it. I was like, this yeah, is no, so right. amazing.
2: That's definitely something I have. I, I know. I, I listen to her, like, a lot. Um, not so much anymore, but during a pretty important period, I was, like, obsessed with her, listening to her music. And now my music is a lot more simple, like, more rock and roll. She's She did that occasionally. Um, but she's a huge inspiration, especially, like, um uh, vibrato in my voice and stuff yeah
1: i was gonna say you you nail that i said i i don't know any men male singers that could do that like nina simone did and there you are doing it i was was like what this is this guy's so enigmatic
2: you know well what's interesting is that a lot when you hear nina simone or when somebody hears nina simone and i think i thought this i think i thought she was a man i didn't know it was a man or woman or whatever she kind of has like a a deep voice a oh yeah
1: she yeah she she did have a lot of andro uh andro androgynous
2: so i get compared in the opposite way i get like i have a more well w- maybe we're just like in the same space but w- we don't fit uh visually with what our voices produce um but yeah she kind of leaned more male i kind of lean more female sometimes when i sing um in that androgynous way i don't know
1: well, i I grew up love. I grew up listening to Nina Simone, my dad, uh, her, uh, Lena Horn, You know, just uh, that that quality old school vocal that you just don't hear anymore, right? I mean, I, I like one one of the the worst things that ever happened in female vocals was Whitney Houston singing the uh, Star Spangled Banner at the Super Bowl. <laughs> I was like, "This is this what we have come to? Is just just somebody who can just continually wail on one note for for 17 seconds? And oh, that's so amazing! I, I that was just like that was like nails on a chalkboard for me because I I was like, no, where is Nina Simone? Where is you know where is yeah you know, the, these these that were amazing these women who could you know because Whitney Houston just just totally trashed the art in my opinion. I was just <laughs>
2: You got you can't get
1: that carried away with the national anthem. It's not like she just oh, so man, devotional. Man. Um, she did everything she could with that. I don't know. I, I couldn't. I was like, I mean, I never liked her much anyway, but then that came along. I was like, this is I was just devastated that, that this is what we've come to. Um, but the, I was just some kid in high school who was listening to a lot of U2, Depeche Mode, and Motorhead. So, yeah. um, well, actually, I still listen to a lot of U2, Depeche Mode, and Motorhead. So,
2: I love um, too. yeah.
1: So, well, I, I've I've been to 46 U2 shows. That's Holy that's shit. been yeah, that's that's my that's uh,
2: awesome. yeah, I that mean, was put on big shows. I don't they, think I, I've never been to a U2 show.
1: Oh no, it's it's an experience, man. Um, it, I mean, even if you hate them, produced. even if you even if you no, hate them, them. You, yeah, even if you hate going to love the show, you know. Yeah. I mean, I've
2: seen uh, the video. The what is it? Rattle and Hum. That's
1: awesome. yeah yeah well that bb king segment they did there was like over the top man but yeah i
2: remember i like the spotlight what what are they doing bullet the blue sky maybe okay um where bono has a big spotlight he's shining around
1: the around the venue yeah 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 um anyway so radio probably well (laughs) so um let me just say, okay, when I, I went and I listened to The Walk of Life, okay? That version, I felt, was exactly what Dire Straits was trying to do. Okay? <laughs> I was like, that's what Mark Knopfler was, was trying to hit, was that, exactly that. This is the perfect version of this song. I I couldn't believe I was listening to it going... Now, mind you, I love Dire Straits. I mean, you know, I absolutely love, and that album, Brothers in Arms, is like, yeah. that is a golden platinum classic to the, you know, a tribute to mankind there. It was such a great record. But suddenly that song was better than any, I mean, I, I thought, yeah, Mark Knopfler needs to hear this because he will bow down and hand you all the credit. That was so cool. How well you, how well you did that on... Uh, that, yeah, just... that
2: one is like uh I mean I've I've listened to a lot of country blues artists and not everybody knows exactly what I'm talking about when I say that, but there's artists like um Mississippi John Hurt is kind of my favorite and he's an older artist and um played acoustic guitar and sang. And I'm like a s I'm a singer songwriter. I play solo shows a lot. Um or not I mean. In well the you used time. to. Yeah. Yeah. Um where I'd just go up on stage with a guitar and sing and that's what I've been doing for a long time, um, and so you know the usual heroes for that are the '70s and '60s heroes that you might think, like Dylan and and, and whoever you could list, uh, and Neil Young and and so on. Um, but when I heard some of this country blues stuff, they're they're singer songwriters in their own right. They're playing acoustic guitar and singing and accompanying themselves solo. And so I got really into that world and the finger picking stuff is pretty cool. I mean, my eyes roll when I hear somebody talk speak about finger picking music, but it is like some of my favorite finger picking guitar um, and singing and songs and they're just relaxing. I could listen to them all day long and um, what's interesting about like that country blues thing is that your thumb on your right hand, your thumb is doing basically a bass line, and your, your index finger, or maybe your middle finger, different people do two fingers or one, um, is doing a melody counter to the bass line, And then you're also singing usually along with the melody, maybe something a little syncopated with the melody and you're doing all that together. And, um, it's just a lot of fun. It's some of the most rewarding music I have I play, um, even just when I'm by myself. Um, so Walk of Life began that way when I started messing around with it. And my usual go-to in terms of making a cover song is to kind of go back in time from the actual time that that song came out. So on this new album, I have Magic Carpet Ride. That's the 60s and some are the 80s and 70s um but i kind of go back and kind of make it seem like the original um by acdc or black sabbath or whoever it was actually a cover of mine that's just in my own head um but it actually creates a good creative space for me to kind of simplify it and not not shoot too far for the stars kind of just make it more humble um and that usually works out well for me
1: well, when I hear people doing covers, you know, you're always trying to make it sound like your version of something to sound enough like you, but everyone still knows it's the original song, right? You know, it's by that original artist. You, on the other hand, make such a spin on it, you, you don't sound anything like the original of it. Like I like the Cars song, right? The, the My best friend's girl I was like, is this really that song my best friend's girl is this really because it it, 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 it sounded nothing like it and then we get to the chorus i'm like oh my god there we okay it really is that song you know even though i'm hearing the words it sounded nothing like the original one until i got yeah. to the chorus and that was that was funny that was really like but again how do you come up with the idea to put that much of a spin on the songs
2: well, if it sounds too much, if it just sounds like a watered down version, um, I kind of toss it or I just start over and try a few things like I, I probably do unless I just land on it right away. I probably do two or three tries it, it um, approaches um, and pretty quickly I'll just let my instinct I'll just be like this is working um, and that's something I've learned over over my career is too just go with your instinct and maybe it takes you down a wrong path, but don't nip it in the bud before you go down the wrong path and you don't even know Um, because you should trust your instincts. If you've gotten this far, if you believe in yourself, Um, just trust your instincts.
1: Don't worry about what anybody says Um,
2: to a point, but,
1: (laughs) but so when you get to that point, you say, okay, I want to do this song. Uh, how do you visualize? How do you imagine what it's going to sound like? I mean, what what is it in your creative process to say, okay, I, I'm going to write the notes down, and then I'm going to strip everything else out and start all over to, to make this? I mean, how do you do that? Because again, your pieces are so different from the originals, which it's 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 vibrant, it's great, but how do you come up with that? Because I'm the guy who hears covers. I love hearing covers. Going back to the original on that. This is a totally different world.
0: Yeah,
2: I I, I don't know. I mean, it's kind of best to just like be in the moment and move forward. Um, But nothing is like formulaic exactly. I usually just am sitting there with a guitar, um, maybe at the piano, but usually a guitar and singing and playing an acoustic guitar usually because I just like just like sitting at an upright piano is a little bit better than playing a keyboard through your computer or through an amp is a little different. It's not, I like acoustic instruments, um, at least to jam on because you get like a response um, from it in the room. You feel vibrations and stuff, um, but it's kind of boring. I'll just say like, you just sit there, <laughs> you come up with an idea and you're like, Oh, cool. Um, I like it. Keep going. But sometimes you just keep repeating it over and over for, you know, these songs are about three minutes long, but sometimes you're just playing it for five, ten minutes, looping it in real time, and you just work things out, what melodies might work. Um, I mean, sometimes, like, on a rare occasion, I will be writing a song for something else, and I'll just slip into the vocals for one of these songs, and and then I'll be like, oh, that fits really, really well, um, and I'll explore that further. And then I'll add if once I've solidified that I like something, I'll I'll put some bass guitar on it,
1: work on some
2: electric guitar melodies and lead guitars and drums if necessary and things like that.
1: Well, so when you did message in a bottle, right? Uh, I'm like, is that a xylophone? Yes, it is. And then there's that like flamenco, little bit of flamenco guitar in there. Mm <laughs> hmm. And then the overall vibe was like this that, that, that 60s. I don't know, like part of it would have been a James Bond film, you know? Yeah. But then I'm like, what? Like, there's so much in there. I don't even know how to explain how that one was going, but then that was where the Nina Simone aspect of your voice really came up. But then oh, okay, cool. you're singing this minor key, made me feel really dark. I'm like, how does he like? You know, because it's a fun song, you know, and 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 we're all just kind of. And then you know that that's just how I've always remembered that song. And then suddenly here I am going, wow, this is this is really like down. You know, I mean, it, it was just a. I think it's because
2: the lyrics. I think it's the lyrics also on that one. It's like, it's pretty, I mean, you're on a strand, stranded on the an island and you're trying to get somebody to listen to you or get your message. And it seems like a pretty lonely uh, dire space. Um, and sting makes it fun, but the lyrics on
1: the page aren't so fun. Uh, I'm going to roll over to some of your other work. Okay? So I, I didn't get to go through all of it. I, I wish mm-hmm. I... You know, but uh, Rhythm and Reason. I absolutely love that record. That was... Now, mind you, okay, I, I, love, I, I love Preacher. I love Substitute Preacher, both of them. They're, they're fantastic efforts, okay? And everybody needs to hear those two EPs, because they're just wonderful takes on some classic songs that you just have to love. Okay, yes, but I get the Rhythm and Reason, and I am like... In in awe at the because it's a different feel i guess these are your original pieces or whatever but it's uh it's a very americanist folk rock but more folk in there but but then some of it where you're pulling in uh the reggae right when you uh there's a little bit of reggae in there
2: yeah i definitely i like reggae bass lines mostly i think me doing the guitar or the drums can't get cliche out of out of
1: uh oh right re- reggae labels. is the most repetitious yeah right re- yeah it's i mean I, I love it i just
2: don't not everybody loves it so i'm conscious of that but i do think reggae bass lines are some of the best bass lines in music so i definitely pull from that that influence quite a few times.
1: Oh yeah, no, there it was it was in there it was powerful. I mean it just I I I kind of throw 90% of all the reggae out after a while cuz it just it's you know we we all have heard those Bob Marley songs go away, you know. It it just it's um like if I go if I never hear any track off of legend for the rest of my life, it's still too <laughs> soon. But uh there goes the neighborhood uh the line the white House turned to gray what was the social commentary now on I mean that record had so much social commentary on it it was brutal, but I talked <laughs> about that song specifically what what was the uh
2: that one that one's been kicked around that almost went on my first record and but um I didn't quite have the the arrangement that I liked um but the lyrics of that are I think I wrote this in two thousand and fourteen and fifteen. And, you know, Obama was president in America and Trump wasn't on the scene. And but I saw a lot of, you know, Fox News is around and talk radio. And it's kind of like that Sean Hannity thing, you know, just the you should be afraid of everybody coming into the you should be constantly on alert for people taking your guns or this or that, you know and race it you know when people say chicago on fox news that's or detroit or whatever that just is code speak for black people um and so when i wrote that song it's it's called there goes the neighborhood it's kind of written from that aggrieved white person uh watching fox news uh, or whatever whatever else they're ingesting um and it it's very much like uh randy newman song in terms of like short people or (laughs) any of his on pc music where he's being satirical and he's taking the role of somebody he doesn't actually like um but it it is an interesting way to write um i've found a lot of had a lot of fun being the bad guy in a number of my songs um as opposed to being the good guy talking about the issue being the bad guy talking about the issue can lend itself to a lot of stuff so i say the line one and the white house turns to gray um it's it's obama going into the white house um and you know people the world changing around me blah 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 i mean we at this point 2021 how many times have we heard this at this point um but yeah i mean that was in 2014 or something i was writing about that i was the first no i wasn't the first but um I was thinking about that type of stuff. I was thinking about race politics and people scapegoating each other and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, it's like, there goes a neighborhood in white flight. And that's the whole thing behind that. And what's funny is that song is like, it's kind of feel good sounding. Yeah, it is. It's feel good sounding,
1: it. but the subject matter, I'm like, you're being an asshole, right? I mean, I knew it was social commentary. Yeah. but uh... So
2: it's funny. It's made like, you know, however, it gets on playlists for stores, but it's like in Barnes and Noble's and Reis and stuff. And some guy who worked at Rei was like, heard the lyrics and was like, started like saying shit on about me on whatever on social media, like saying, This is an unacceptable song. And they basically got the song removed from their store.
1: Oh, because uh, nobody got the joke. Yeah. For, I mean, yeah. I don't, I don't
2: exactly blame him and I kind of agree with him, but it was just like i don't know it's a funny song to be just playing at the re- at the
1: convenience store um, yeah at uh, barnes and noble but or, i guess know. nobody's paying attention very much I, who does anymore like i'll, I'll well yeah I, mean, I go to the the local grocery store um when i do venture out i'm in salt lake city utah actually okay cool yeah um so when i when i venture out and i go to the i go to the the grocery store because me i mean i'm the guy always listening to music and so i'll hear this stuff playing and it's usually like something interesting i'll hear 99 Loaf balloons by by nina and then i'll hear you know just just whatever coming around the the thing and then and then they'll play the the, the one song that never should have ever been recorded uh, i can't fight this feeling anymore by ario speedwagon and i mean that and whitney houston singing do you hear what i hear i think are like the worst like if they had used those at uh, Guantanamo Bay, you know, they'd have caught Bin Laden years ago. Um, but I any, any, anyway, so uh, it, it is funny what you hear there, because most people don't pay attention. I do. And I'm like, Oh yeah, I remember I was in high. I remember this one, man. You know, it's, and I I'm one of those guys that would like, I, I go to my daughter's dance concert and I see, I hear all this great music that, that these kids are dancing to. And, you know, in the dance company and I'm, I got my Shazam turned on. I'm just taking everything I'm like that's a good song, man. I gotta go home and get this one. So, um, so yeah, I, I would be that guy listening. And, and it, would I have noticed it? But I also probably would have said, "All right, I gotta go listen to." It. Oh, that guy's actually kind of funny. You know, that would have been the uh, the outcome of my uh, thing there. Um, your, your track up in arms. Some of that reminds me of you remember old Bob Marley when he was. Before he got really shitty, um, there was the Bob Marley when he was on the political side of things about the movement, you know, and all that. And I feel like that was where I I felt a lot of that in the record back when I really liked Bob Marley and and the whole the the, the cultural movement and everything that was changing around that type of thing. Uh, But the, the line, it's safe to say my glory has fled Mm-hmm. Um, I mean that one in particular. But this is a very political album. But uh, yeah. what what was that? What was that? The up in arms. Up please. in arms
2: is about. Um, it's kind of a first person, uh, as Huey P. Newton, who's the one of the founders of Black Panther Party in I think the early seventies in Oakland. Um, and he had like a big rise in terms of prominence, and then a pretty low fall until he passed away and um you know it's it's seen it's a song about like uh, you know black equality in america um and the struggle there and but it's seen through his eyes and kind of at the end of his life his eyes where he's seen his strength at its peak and he's become now he's completely weak and a drug addict and um it's just kind of a journey story, but um Yeah, I don't it's definitely a bittersweet sort of story. Um and it's very political. Um or so it's not even political. Oh, like it was politics. incredible well the the album was very
1: political. Very social right. political, yeah. The whole yeah, album was, yeah. yeah. Um,
2: even the song there's it's I mean that album was like very had a lot of immigrant stories sort of stuff and um even the song move into brussels there's a song called move in brussels and yeah yeah i was gonna I, say
1: why did you pick brussels
2: uh i think i was there i was, oh, I was okay. in the airport in brussels i was on tour with roseanne cash and we just happened to be there and I, I had been working on it um and i think i was on tour with chris cornell at one point and i was working on it and then i like was in brussels and then i landed on those lyrics and uh, i wrote it as kind of like somebody who has to leave their country that they love to go find safety or whatever it might be Uh, my parents are immigrants so i just kind of gravitate towards that story i just like kind of understand a lot of nuance nuances to families uh, of immigrants and um, but i wanted to write a song about immigration but it's disguised as a, a breakup song um instead of breaking up with a lover, you're breaking up with your country, but I don't actually say country or whatever. I'm just, it's just presented as though it's um, a relationship song and I'm going to move away and pack my bags and all this stuff. Um, but I, I really liked that. I, I liked how, I don't know if it's clever, but I, I liked how it was kind of clever in that I disguised this, this thing um, as a love song.
1: Well, no cause i've been to brussels love it wonderful wonderful place um i love it yeah oh i yeah well i, I used to i used to live in paris and uh,
2: oh,
1: wow. uh i have friends in uh other parts of belgium too so I, i've been up there quite a bit I, you know um i mean hey i saw Echo and the bunnyman in paris that's my second wow. favorite band so yeah i knew i saw them in paris and in brussels and yeah I mean, belgium's a cool place but i just thought now why brussels out of all the places but Okay, you're on tour with uh Roseanne Cash. I guess if you're in Brussels, that's what you'd think about. Um, so uh let's let's go to your your take on When Dove's Cry. Mm-hmm. Um again, when I was listening to you, I this is before I'd even heard your take on When Dove's Cry. I was like, this guy is is talented as Prince in just a different direction. I'm not saying Prince would have tried to go and sound like you or that you're trying to sound like Prince or anything like that. I just found there was so much of this depth of the music. And, the, I mean, yeah, like we've been talking about this whole time. I can't get over how you do what you do in such a way. But when you did Prince, When Doves Cry, I was like, what the, like (laughs) – Again, it's the like, same song, but this is amazing, but I, I don't know how else to address it because nobody even wants to stand in the same circle as Prince, but I would dare say this one puts you there.
2: Yeah, yeah, I mean, that one is that one's like almost the funniest one to listen to and realize what song you're listening to Um because I literally do a, a dove's crying. Yeah, yes. Sound. yes. <laughs> and when i did that when i was like rehearsing it and came up with it or whatever
1: well i i loved how i i loved how your publicist says he uh he transformed when dubs cry into a foreboding murder ballad and i was like i don't know if i would put it that but uh yeah I, I, you know he's he he is the one who could deliver a thought or a song in a in such a the most out there unexpected way you you just can't you can't make this shit up you just got to let it happen that's what I say about a lot of things. That this song was it, you know?
2: Yeah, I mean, I liked it a lot. I thought it was super unique. Um, and the reason why I was doing the cover was because it was uh, part of this tribute night to Prince at in New York at Carnegie Hall with like a crazy star studded like all star lineup. Um, and like the Roots were the backing band for the whole night, and uh, D'Angelo was there, and like Chris Rock was there, and it was it was nuts. Booker T, uh, Booker T Jones was there, one of my heroes, and um, you know, like they go, do you want the roots to back you up? And then you got to do the rehearsal and 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 have the roots back you up, which would be awesome, right? Like that sounds great. But I came up with this <laughs> with this folk thing, and I was like, well, they're gonna fuck it up if I like, or it's gonna get all fucked up if I like, <laughs> have a backing band, um, and the whole uh, it, one reason why I wanted to do it was because the night was going to be ruckus. And then for me to go out there and kind of bring it way down, bring the energy way down would be really good. Um, So I, I I said, no, I don't want the roots to be my backing band. I have better things to do. Uh, No, I mean, I, I said that begrudgingly. I was like, this is stupid, but I don't regret it. Um, It took balls for sure to do that, to go up there. After Bilal or whoever else was out there, um, and it was fun. It was cool. I think the audience understood it was different and like i didn't I've been in a cover band. I didn't really want to do a cover uh like the traditional thing. Um, I get zero joy out of doing that. Um, I like doing stuff like this. I like doing my own thing.
1: oh well, you most certainly yeah geez you most certainly do it's uh it's just a you know a a breath of fresh air uh a lot of this stuff i mean there's there's a lot of music out there i get 30 40 albums a week and i say this to everybody if if you made it to my show you've uh you've you've made it you know uh i hear stuff that i just think if, if i can make it into the second song good and i'll put it in the continue listening file or, or whatever but i'll hear stuff and just toss it and you were such a breath of fresh air such a like i gotta stop and go back and listen to this again and again you know well, thanks just Jerry. it's so so just it just I, I i can't really describe it you just gotta go listen i mean to i'm That's just trying I'm to make it everyone.
2: different just like you want to hear something different like I mean you hear this all the time from all creative aspects um no one wants to hear, like it, you're no one wants to see you play it safe
1: I guess you could say mm-hmm. um, well I don't know doing prince is is a pretty tall order that isn't that's that's risky doing prince but yeah go
2: ahead oh I'm just saying no one wants to play it safe like they just want they want to see how kind of weird you can get not exactly not in a bad way um but, like in design or or other arts, um no one wants you to play it safe, like no one needs another copy of this person that you are we are all familiar of, with um they wanna see they either wanna see the real you or they don't really wanna see you, so like be the real you and be just go for it yeah d- don't and, be
1: like spinal tap trying to do jazz right when uh... <laughs>
2: Trying to copy Nigel Saint, whatever his name is. No, no, um,
1: Nigel Tufnell was the guitarist. So... And yeah, David oh, okay. St. Hubbins was Completely the bank, lead yeah. singer. Yeah. And David St. Hubbins, he was the patron saint of designer footwear. <laughs> that movie was <laughs> um, <is> so good. <laughs> so, um, so the, the song calls Have closer a to...
2: good time
1: all the time. All the time. Yeah. Uh, Stonehenge. <laughs> they don't know why. You know. <laughs> I gotta <laughs> watch was... it again, oh man it's not it your was... job to be as confused as Nigel is it well one one of the actually they they did uh not a remake or or but an extension of it like a spinal tap reunion and uh i mean so you've got like Nigel doing one of his guitar solos and so he's got the guitar on the stand and he's there and he's throwing um he's he's throwing uh, horseshoes at it and he's you know just 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 dude just crazy this you know long guitar solo and then there's derek he takes a limo and he goes out to a spot and he gets his legs waxed you know on
2: stage no no,
1: yeah while there's nigel still playing his <laughs> guitar solo you know it was it was just awesome i'm like spinal tap was they they wanted to just make fun of everything
2: every, and every moment every, like even every, the little chiquita guitar he's playing with his foot or whatever there's like a tiny got little every, guitar
1: Every reference, everything they could do to make fun of of rock and roll, they did it. You yeah. know, it was brilliant. There was, I mean, that that you just you go you go back and you watch. You're like, oh my gosh, they're making fun of this band that time. You know, did they so, make a,
2: a sequel? They never did a sequel. It was
1: one. it was a secondary, not like a sequel, but a spinal type reunion type thing. Right. That was but just
2: in, in terms of film. They never did another one, right? No, I think not I like that. A it there there was uh so
1: well. There's the mighty wind. Which uh, (laughs) you you think the the folk musician should have been in there, but yeah, they had Spinal Tap in there, not as Spinal Tap, but yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but wait, okay, okay, so what, but okay, now, okay, okay, here, oh, and also,
2: never let's not forget the Martin Scorsese jokes, yeah, from the last waltz that they do with Rob Reiner. Well, so okay,
1: all right, all right, so in uh mighty wind what most people didn't get i mean i was laughing my ass off in that i mean there was like they were they had leonard cohen in there joan baez you know they had all like they were embodied in in these artists right which Mm -hmm. was you know but uh so they were throwing all that in there but when there was a line where the guy got up there remember where where um Bob Balaban's character was getting not not Balaban the other guy was getting all worked up about the, the vines in there right that the, the, those <laughs> those vines were too long and they could injure somebody and that they aren't safe right you remember that part in, <laughs> not, I don't remember it actually okay but I saw that I, I saw that and was laughing I was like okay I can see where this is going okay and I was just kind of chuckling about it and then he comes out later that night and then he introduces the show right and he quotes word for word what they said at Woodstock. All right, everybody. There's a there there's a brown vine going or there's a brown vine out there. It's very dangerous. The acid on that one is it's it's going to give you a bad trip. So stay away from that brown vine that's going around out there. Okay, everyone. I was I mean they that's they caught funny. Woodstock in this one. You know it was just. It was, I need to go back and watch that. Oh my I've gosh! Seen, I've seen
2: like Best in Show a bunch, and you know. Oh uh, yeah. Have a bunch of them.
1: Well, and the other one in there, um, like remember the the Main Street Singers and everyone's there playing yeah. on the uh, right. That was in the same amusement park that Spinal Tap had their failure in. In there, I mean, they were like <laughs> interweaving every joke oh, they wow. could they, they they threw into that. But they were geniuses, man. They're just so just so. They're kind you of like
2: Monty Python, even though they didn't have like a show. There's something about them, like a the troop, sort of thing.
1: Yeah, but but they they weave as many pop culture jokes in there as they can from a million different sources just to keep you, you know, on mm-hmm. your toes. But yeah, That Mighty Wind, That Mighty Wind was actually even I'd say better than than Guffman. But I mean nothing was better than Spinal Tap, but Mighty Wind was up there. That was better than Best in Show or waiting for Guffman. So, yeah, I got to watch that again. <laughs> so, um anyway geez we we you and i are like the, the the music world that you and i are into it's kind of a uh, frightening that you know um so but and then you're talking about the lines in the last waltz i'm like man this guy like you really you're you're as bad as i am when it comes to just obscure digging into the music stuff um oh, yeah so uh your song closer to the. all right That has that really great late 70s dark black exploitation film soundtrack feel to it. It Is the only way, like, not quite shaft, but even darker, you know? And I was like, is that a praise song? Because it also felt like winding down life and not necessarily a praise song, but words-wise it was, lyric-wise it was, but then it was this other like uh, i i might be dying the world's coming to it you know my my life is uh it's tying up here um it, closer to the Talking but that was a very the, the the sound to it was amazing but uh just the whole feel the the lyrics um yeah, let's it's hear that got one a
2: soul it's definitely got a kind of a soul thing and there's an acoustic piano playing the bass notes um so it's got a kind of a retro 60s type of thing going on um lyrically it's just kind of it it is kind of religious but it's not religious um it's kind of <laughs> what I might think it would be but it's more just self-affirming I guess you could say or something akin to that like um kind of recognizing trials and and tribulations and kind of realizing it's all part of life and and acknowledging and appreciating what you have that type of thing that's what i think of when i think of that song um and when i you know closer to thee kind of sounds like god um but it could be a important person in your life or you know i wrote all this most of this album after the birth of my first child so it was kind of a different moment in life um and that probably played a role and being on tour being away that, that's also part of the song, like uh, being like in Europe or the East Coast when my family's far away um, isn't great feeling. I don't love it. I mean, you play the show for an hour and that's exhilarating, but then there's like 23 hours <laughs> or 22 other hours of the day um, that can drive you crazy. Yeah, um, and if you're single and you're only responsible to yourself, that's one thing. If you're responsible to others uh it changes you know your gravitational pull on earth and um you know it's it's a song about kind of like longing and i don't know longing is the right word i don't know if i've ever longed um but uh it's kind of just like missing missing out on something in life and being appreciative of what
1: you have and wanting to get back to it what was the longest time you've ever been out What was the longest time period of time you were on the Um,
2: road um straight was probably two and a half months oh, okay. and over a year probably like nine or ten months out of the year okay uh, and that's not i always compare it to like anybody in the military it's like not really comparable because they're just gone for two years or whatever um so that always like made me go like okay it's not like <laughs> it's not that bad um, yeah but it is something it's like you know you hear about uh as a parent you hear about you know you might not have the perfect thing to say you might not know all the answers but being present for your child just makes all the difference in the world and it's like well if you're gone all the time like you're not present and you could be doing something that you don't want to your child so they definitely like made a a bit of an effort uh to be home more um and then this past year has been pretty good in a way you know it's like it's not good in 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 many ways but in, in terms of getting to know your family member maybe a little bit too much sometimes but uh getting back to know them getting to know them again and just being close with them is pretty awesome um yeah
1: well no i my my record my longest time out was 10 months oh wow so yeah i was out uh i was out on was uh, a
2: musician or no no else? no
1: i was i was out at uh, the navy air station in pax river maryland mm. for 10 months and my family was here and like my my youngest she turned one while i was gone and um i i'd see my family every about every five weeks and that just was that was just oh man that was painful you know it being out sucks, that right? long yeah it's like yeah i mean it's it different. was it, it was interesting because like I, could, like I could sleep at night and just me and not have <laughs> to worry about someone snoring you know kind of thing but uh you know uh you i don't know if you know the band the cowboy junkies or yeah. um they did that song sun comes up it's tuesday morning where, where you just you 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 miss that person just being there in a part of your life and and that was what it was like it was still I, i'd still wake up and go oh where is she you know and Right. and i would talk to my kids every day and and we would do video calls and that but it you know it was it was brutal because my youngest one i didn't get to see her growing up you know yeah. and then um, they're
2: bigger when you it's just like a trip when you're like yeah bad. but was like, one
1: time one time like my uh my wife and daughter were in we went to germany for um a summer and we went over there i got my wife set up and you know she spent a couple of weeks just getting her set up and everything because i I, I used to live there. I don't know Germany very well, and then mm-hmm. I came home for um, a month, month and a half, and then she, and our daughter was just probably about, I don't know, probably about eight months old when she, when we went over there, and then when I went back, it was weird because she didn't recognize me, hmm. and I wanted to go and hug her and hold her and everything, and okay. she just, it, and it just, it recoiled, she freaked, recoiled. yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was weird. So, yeah, that was one of those, like, that. yeah, okay, not so you get bad. that.
2: Not not quite, like, as probably tough as that was, but I've had that. It's not good.
1: <laughs> not yeah, good and thing. it was just because, you know, I wasn't there in her life for a month. And that, for for a baby, for a child, she wasn't even walking. You know, that was, like, a lot. That was you know yeah, but then you. yeah but then leave my wife with a newborn and all that for 10 months was yeah you know i i still have a lot of bad marital karma to burn off from that one so yeah. um <laughs> uh anyway tying this one we'll up I'll never
2: clear up that you know oh, clear oh that there, slate, there are
1: there are a couple that i never will yeah <laughs> I, i'm like i i will forever be The bad guy for, you know, like, just, just, it will always come up. And that's always in their
2: back pocket. Hey.
1: Oh yeah. No. And that's one of them. And yeah, but there, there's plenty that like, I'm like, you know what? We're, I burned that one off where we can move on to something else, you know? But anyway, um, your song don't come around here no more. Yeah. Um, that one was, that one was funeral pyre material. Yeah. And sad. Th- did anybody ever compare it to a day in the life? Cause that was, that was what it felt like. It felt uh, like, yeah. no, yeah. I, don't, I haven't heard that. Um, I like that one a lot. Um, Oh, I do too. But man, that was like the, you know, this is, this is where you, you I mean, a strange thing, day in the life of the Beatles, you know, I could imagine them carrying a casket just, you know, in silence, and this song playing just to exp- you know, that was what this one felt like. It was so that that was the uh, the, the the knock it out of the park number right there.
2: What I think I was thinking of is like when you say don't come around here no more, it's kind of like you're someone's being banished somewhere. And I think I was, you know, the the voice is like seems like it's coming from from the first person but i think i'm the music and everything else is telling you it's in the you're like in the perception of the banished person so it's a very lonely feeling slow walk out of a place sort of feel um so it's almost like someone's telling you don't come around here no more and you're listening to it or you're you know you're being told that not that you're first person singing it um but obviously it's like a again a really famous tom petty song And I instead of,
1: well, it was better than the Tom Petty version because I, um, (laughs) I mean, I sort of knew that. uh, And uh, okay, yeah, this one nailed it. You know, it's like I, it, it. it, If you were to pick a Tom Petty song, I, I wouldn't pick that. But this one was like, okay, well, obviously better than than Tom Petty did it. So, um. obviously,
2: it's better than Tom Petty did it. You can mark it.
1: Yes, (laughs) mark it as that. (laughs) So. But I mean it it I, I just felt um there's this overarching darkness, sarcasm, sadness in there, but you, you deliver it with such a, a strong kind of charm in in your music and that's that's probably the It's a
2: mix of like some of the things we've talked about. It's like when you think of Nina Simone, Nina Simone isn't like Cheerful exactly <laughs> she's very moody, um so that's like a huge influence of mine. uh Randy Newman is a huge songwriting, lyrical influence of mine, like Warren Zevon or Bob Dylan or something like that, like people who like like Bob Dylan has a song called Mr Jones like what these kind of viewpoints that some of these songwriters take um I really enjoy those those angles well,
1: i i aside from werewolf of london which i still think was just like just dumb you know um it's dumb yeah but that was that was a novelty song you know yeah, like totally. a throwaway novelty song but send lawyers guns and money oh yeah you know like that was <laughs> yeah. brilliant but I love that song. So you, some of your work is novelty i there, there's a lot of the, the vibe of that to it not like weird al novelty or anything but yeah you do, do have a piece of that which it's enjoyable to see, OK, this is a novelty approach to some of this, but still very dark with, you know, with that, again, with the, the substitute preacher persona. But uh, the, the covers probably have more of that than anything, but that's probably because their interpretations. But um, how, how much is, is there humor in what you're doing? You know, because talking to you, you're, you're not the dark, you know, you're not this dark, depressing
2: it could be dark, depressing, but I I definitely love. I mean, when I was a kid, I wanted to be like George Carlin really badly. I wanted to, I like wanted to be a comedian or in comedy somehow. I liked Richard Pryor a ton, and I was playing guitar. I wasn't a singer. I wasn't like, oh, I'm gonna sing and play guitar and like I'm gonna like rock the world. I was like, I'm good at guitar. I've never sang in my life as a teenager until I was like 19 or something, um, and I really loved. George Carlin and Eddie Murphy and, you know, Chris Rock and, and Richard Pryor. And I like the way they thought. I like the way they like kind of were philosophers of the time in a way, like you would listen to them. Um, and I, I think people listen to comedians in modern day in a interesting way. Uh, they really look for truth from them. <laughs> and if you're not getting truth from them, then you're not really doing your job, I guess. Um But in music, it's a different, it's not really that. That's not, it's about emotion and and stuff like that. It could be fake emotion too. Um, But I like, I like words. I like wordplay and words are obviously really important to comedians and, and writers and stuff like that. So I've always taken to that and, you know, wanted to say something usually. Uh, So there's a bit of lightheartedness for sure um because you can get get something in there
1: well you've got like leonard cohen who is very dark but then he throws something in there that's light-hearted or just very biting and you, you never knew where to take that guy you never knew where he was coming from well you loved me as a loser but now you're worried that i just might win
2: yeah it's definitely like he's dry like you, you get the joke or his jokes i guess you could call him like a few seconds later you're like oh right away <laughs> that's what's nice like when it really sinks in and you're like oh that was a good turn of phrase that he used um
1: i went to university of montreal and there was a small english-speaking section of the city and then there's an even smaller jewish quarter of the city right and i went to that synagogue doing my leonard cohen pilgrimage and it was kind of cool and uh so I, I got to go and see the little, um, you know, one of the little, uh, I can't remember which book it was, but it had his name in it. And that was the one he read from it, his bar mitzvah and stuff. And the guy showed it to me. And I, there was William Shatner was at that same synagogue. You know, it's like, you know, it's what you do in, in Quebec when it's freezing and nothing else to do. You want to, you got to stay inside, right? So we do a
2: Shatner and Cohen.
1: That's yeah. Yeah. Funny. Both, both Jewish kids from the same neighborhood in Montreal. Well, so. Um, I bet you didn't know that, right? Let, I wouldn't so.
2: have guessed Montreal for.
1: I knew Cohen was from there. I didn't. I don't know.
2: He Shatner comes from Planet
1: Nine. <laughs> well, Captain Kirk is from Iowa, Davenport, Iowa. So, um, oh, yeah, yeah, he, he hasn't been born yet, but that's where he's gonna be. That's where he's gonna come from. So. <laughs> Wait, so. Star
2: Trek? Take start. I didn't even like put that together. He's like, they're from the future. <laughs> Yes. it's always been old to me yeah especially
1: well uh yeah no like watch no star trek movies man the, the good old days back when when we didn't know what an asshole shatner really is you know um <laughs> so um well you actually know what, what's funny is like everyone knows that beethoven wrote all this music and that he was deaf and all of that right you know i mean those are the but when you read the guy's writings you think Wow, very few people know what a complete asshole this guy was. I mean, he was, but we look back on it now, and finally, like he was autistic, he had Asperger's syndrome, and all of that, which kind of played into why he had no social skills whatsoever. He just didn't get along with anybody, you know. So, um, I mean, like I, I, I read about musicians that uh, you know, I just read everything. I didn't know that. And uh, yeah, Beethoven was just such an asshole. I mean, he just was, um, like. He made Axel Rose sound like the nicest, most congenial dude in the world, right? You know that was
2: Beethoven never Beethoven never got to release his Chinese democracy album, did he?
1: Oh my gosh. No, that is a funny one, yeah. So because you, you know, have you heard the new Guns N' Roses record? Uh I it's know it's called it. Boulevards of Splendor, and the lead singer is Cherie Curie. And uh so basically she she had Guns N' Roses, the backup band, to make this album called Boulevards of Splendor. Everybody oh, except Axel. And it was an amazing record. So um yeah. No, I, I want to ask one last thing about Chris Cornell, if you wanna say something, because I, I read that you worked with him and and that and I um just, you know, he was a fantastic performer and very charismatic. His voice was as enigmatic is yours in the in the field of just you know singers but uh what could you tell me about that
2: uh yeah i met him soundgarden was playing a show in england on bbc and i was too uh called later with jules holland i don't think it's on the air anymore but it was a
1: oh i love jules holland he was the keyboardist in squeeze yeah
2: squeeze yeah exactly yeah um so really a cool show over in england where Everybody is. all There's about five, maybe six bands, uh, on a show, and they all sit around a stage, like kind of all facing each other in a circle. So there's about five stages facing each other, and they'll have really big acts. They'll have Paul McCartney, or and I played solo guitar and sang like like I usually do, and Soundgarden played, and sound, I grew up absolutely loving Soundgarden. I like had a tab guitar tablature book. I like learned everything from Super Unknown, um, all the tunings, all that weird stuff. I had like posters of them, I had all their albums, I was like really liked them. Um, and so I randomly got to be on the show in England the same night as them and I was like, Okay, let's go say hi. <laughs> and so I said hello to them and got to meet all the guys in the band. It was like a big deal for me personally. They liked what I did. Um about nine months later, Chris's people reached out to my people and asked me to go tour with him on his uh solo acoustic tour uh it's called the songbook songbook tour and um i was opening for about 40 dates or something like that like two and three months of shows all around north america and um it's the first time i got to like experience being around somebody like that famous and what your life looks like when you're that famous and it was like <laughs> like a it's kind of like a hermit existence of getting shuttled around by bodyguards and and there are some weird weird fools out there who like really love chris cornell and like there's like a huge gray area between being a fan and being a crazy crazy stalker and there's a lot of those people in that gray area he would usually get out the door right after his show um but I would bump into some of these fans and they'd be asking for like weird things of his, like, did he leave anything behind? <laughs> and I'm be like, like, I can, don't can know. You dude. Like, can you give me the <laughs> fork? Can <Yeah>. you give me a plastic fork? Yes. <laughs> fork. Do you have a spork from KFC? Um, no, I don't have the spork. Um, but like people get kind of like aggressive and just, it's weird. It's a little weird. Anyway, Chris is like a very gracious guy. Um you know, I got to do a song with him every night during his set. Not everybody would ask somebody else to do that or allow that. Then we got to do Hunger Strike, and I'd I play guitar and sing the Eddie Vedder parts, and it was pretty awesome.
1: Well, it's the thing is to say, um, never meet your idols, right? Because uh, yeah. you're going to be disappointed. It sounds like this was one of those exceptions. and that's... Exception. Yeah, that's that rule is still true. <laughs> but this was an exception. I've been in some situations where I was like, man, what a dick, you know, like there are some real, you know, some, some just terrible people out there. Um, You got to sing with Chris Cornell and that's the one thing I'm just, you know, that is something that you can say you got to experience, you got to do. Um, And we lost him and he was a great musician, but that's Mm -hmm. one of those that, um, you know, I guess it really stands out for, I don't think you would call that part of your career as much as just a a very sentimental, great moment. Right. Like, it's not like, Hey, I performed with Chris Cornell and I'm a badass." it's
2: no. Yeah. I
1: got to do this with Chris Cornell and it was something really special. Right. That's what I big deal. Yeah. It was like a crazy,
2: it was, if you would ask me when I was 15, who like the number one person, he would probably be one of them, like top three that I could, you know, tour with or whatever get to know i guess you could say or mm-hmm. whatever and then that came true it was kind of just kind of surreal it just like almost doesn't <clears throat> doesn't seem real still um but it did happen there's video um
1: <laughs> oh yeah no i i get it yeah i'm um I mean, were you feeling like you're in over your head at that moment or no. Like, I mean, like, like the first time he's like, come out here on stage and perform with me. where are thinking like, Oh my God, yo!" Know? No,
2: I think he was like, well, what are you going to do? He's funny. He'll like throw you in. He'll he like, he one time started playing hotel California. And I was like forced to react <laughs> on stage. Um But he's just like, kind of just messing around. But, um, what was I going to say, yeah, no, I was like, he's like, what song are we going to do? Like kind of, Egging me on like a big brother type of thing, and then I was like, "I was like, okay, well, I don't want like you to choose the song. <laughs> I want to choose it." So I chose. As like, can we do a hunger strike? And he's like, "Sure, like, no problem." Basically, so we had just started to play that, and we put a couple other songs over time. Um, and then like Soundgarden was coming through the Bay Area, which is where I lived for a long time, and um, they were playing this place called Shoreline. Shoreline's like a big amphitheater. Bill Graham built, I think. Um,
1: I got tons of bootlegs from there. Yep, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah,
2: lots of bootlegs from there. Uh, lots yeah. of dead bootlegs for sure. They, um,
1: yeah, they they must have had the shittiest security ever because any show that's ever played there's been bootlegged. <laughs> yeah,
2: I think you could just like yeah, you could probably hop over that back fence. But um, they were they were in town with nine inch nails, I think, and um. Chris is like, well, even weirder story is that I'm from St. Louis, Missouri, and I'm a Cardinals fan, and my high school friends get together, try to get together once a year and go to Cardinals game. And we end up going to Chicago Cubs versus Cardinals, and they're like a big rivalry. It was like a cool cool thing to go do at Wrigley. And um, I was going, I had a friend there, I took a taxi um, to go see him, and then I don't know what road we're on, and I see Chris's security guard, and Kim Thyle, the guitar player, outside of some building on some random Chicago street. He's like Soundgarden's guitarist, and I was just like, oh, wow. And I would met him before, and I was like, I just like got out and was like, what are you guys doing here? And they must have been playing part of their show, and they're having dinner, and I saw Chris and everybody there, just totally random, while I was looking out the window of my cab. Um, and then he's like, Oh, we're coming to the Bay Area. What song are you gonna play with us, or whatever? He just like did, did the thing again, and then to do so, like to do folky acoustic guitar stuff with Chris is like kind of easier to handle. To get on stage with get on stage with Soundgarden is another thing, and um, I mean I know like I used to know like all the Soundgarden songs, so I chose one that was like kind of tough and one of my favorites called Super Unknown. And it was, I don't know if it was even, I think it was a single, but it was like the least popular single, but it was definitely a cool song. Um, And I played it on stage at this massive arena and uh, with their huge stacks and guitar amps and stuff. And it was crazy. It was like, I got Chris handed me his guitar and I just started playing it. And it was just like, it was like a blur moment where I just don't even know what happened, but I knew what the song was. And I like sang harmonies and played the guitar but it was like it was it was, it was that on.
1: moment of uh lady gaga walking on stage the first time and a star is born
2: right a little bit it was it was a little intense i was like this is not my <laughs> these people are not here for me i better not mess this up you know
1: oh uh, man no that's that's a wonderful story man like i i love hearing stories like that out of out of people so i mean um um that's that's great i, I interviewed someone yesterday and i asked her about a piece of her video she told me the funniest story in there. I had to mute because I was laughing so hard. Um, so I I love collecting these stories from artists, and so you really just gave us some wonderful history to just you know enjoy. Even if you weren't a Soundgarden fan, it 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 gives us something great. It's like
2: a good things. human story. It's a human well,
1: story. yeah, but I mean, I you know Chris Cornell. I mean, I I his hair was legendary. Come on, <laughs> you know, so. Um, yeah i was i was pretty crushed when we lost him you know um the casualties that we've had has just been too many but um and, and we wonder what about axel rose why doesn't he just you know but, uh, <laughs> so. the
2: age-old question
1: yes God's well not
2: answered yet
1: there was uh when when uh they were doing a, a thing for joey Ramone, like a, a a ceremony kind of thing right where all the Everyone got back together just to hang out and tell stories about the Ramones and all that. And uh, David Vanian from the Damned got up there and said, "God, why did you have to take Joey and leave us with fucking Phil Collins?" Anyway, I thank you for your time, B. This is great. I've I've been just loving your stories and how you're telling me about the music. You're giving me just a lot of cool. Like, wow, that's that's where these felt. That that's what these you know gave me. So. Um, cool. Glad. thank you for the time man and thank everybody you. else i hope that i hope everybody really gets into this yeah rhythm and reason everybody rhythm and reason that's the one to dive into first and then you know go into um a peace of mind we'll go out later anyway just too much out there you have just got a lot of great work so thank you so um, much so anyway everybody it's b beeman b-h-i-b-h-i-m-a-n And uh, just look for Street Preacher, I think you'd find that just uh, sorry, Street Substitute Preacher (laughs) up on SoundCloud and uh, ring to it doesn't have the same, yeah, Substitute Preacher, yeah. So, uh, what do you want us to put? What do you want me to play us out with? Uh, off the new one, or anything, yeah.
2: Um, you could well, if you're going to do something different, I would do Gutter Snipe off of my first record, it's called Gutter Snipe, um, or you could play um i don't know whatever your favorite is off of this new one
1: okay Best so girl maybe or uh oh no it's highway to hell man no <laughs> so, um so all right everybody so there you go we're an hour and a half into this it went long but we had some wonderful stories so everybody else out there take care be good to each other and let music do awesome in your lives
0: Put my two cents in I pray the lawmen I hope they won't catch me again And I'm just a vagabond I live to see the light of dawn I love, I love to sing along
1: Thank you, everybody, for listening in this week. That was B. Beeman. Discussion about substitute preacher. This is Gutter Snipe that we're listening to now. And uh, very special thanks to Barry Andrews of Shriekback for letting us use this song and theme of Sticky Jazz. And thank you to everybody else for tuning in. Just keep listening because the artists that are coming down the line are going to be just as incredible and just as different and new. And we got some regulars that you might have heard too. But uh, stay tuned everybody and have a gnarly week.